Make sure you're subscribed to The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Type The Word of the Lord Endures Forever in your podcast provider. Hit that subscribe button and leave us a five-star review. This will make it easier for other podcast listeners to find The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. LHF is a recognized service organization of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod dedicated to translating and publishing the books of our Lutheran faith into more than 100 languages for our Christian brothers and sisters around the world. Learn how you can take part in their work at lhfmissions.org. Welcome to The Word of the Lord Endures Forever with Pastor Will Wheaton. One of the most joyous mysteries of prayer is how it erases distance. When I'm before the Lord, and I'm holding you up before the Lord, I'm praying for us both before the Lord. And so we're both there together before the Lord with whom there are no distances. It's this experience of prayer obliterating the divisions caused by time and distance that the church lives out in her intercessions in the divine service. The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is a daily verse-by-verse Bible study with the church, past and present. Pastor Whedon is leading us in a study of the book of Acts. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Greetings, people loved by God. Remember that last time we read about how the crowd that had been ready to do divine honors to Paul and Barnabas quickly changed their tune when Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium. These Jews convinced the crowd somehow to turn against the apostles. Paul was stoned, and then, thinking they had killed him, they dragged him out of the city. You can see the mournful crowd of believers surrounding his battered body, no doubt weeping and praying. But out of the blue, Paul opens his eyes, he struggles upright to their astonishment and great joy, and then he marches himself right back into that city. Maybe he rested his aching body some that evening, but the next day, he's on the move again. He and Barnabas head down to Derby, the furthest reach of this missionary trip. His preaching of the gospel there brings many to faith, and so the church grew. Then the missionary pair began retracing their steps. They returned again to Lystra, then to Iconium, and then to Antioch. And wherever they go, they strengthen the disciples and encourage them to continue in the faith, reminding them that the path into the kingdom of God leads through many tribulations. Appointing elders in each church with prayer and fasting, they commend them to the Lord. A reading from Acts, the 14th chapter, beginning at the 24th verse. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had now fulfilled. And when they arrived, they gathered the church together. They declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. Acts 14, verses 24 through 28. Let us pray. Grant, we beg you, Almighty God, to us and to your whole church, your Holy Spirit, and the wisdom that comes down from above, that your word may not be bound, but have free course, 
and be preached and taught to the joy and edifying of Christ's holy people, that in steadfast faith we may serve you, and in the confession of your name abide to our end. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Ready to work through today's passage? Let's dig into it, verse 24. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. Pisidia, recall, was up in the mountains, away from the coast, not quite halfway across the Anatolian Peninsula. And remember that Antioch was the place where the proconsul of Cyprus, Sergius Paulus, came from. And that possibly explains why Paul and Barnabas headed directly up into the mountains when they first set foot on the mainland. But now they're headed down from the mountains and aiming toward the Mediterranean. I'm sure they were both eager to get back to Antioch and Syria to share what God had done through them, but also for a time of rest and refreshment. But notice, even now, though their mission trip is wrapping up, they still continue their important work. Verse 25, And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. We were not told before about any speaking of the word in Perga. The impression we got was they landed and immediately moved up into the hills away from the coast. The only thing we heard about earlier was how John Mark had left them there to return to Jerusalem. Now, however, Paul and Barnabas stay long enough to bring the good news to the people of Perga. It was a major metropolitan city at the time of Paul. Its stadium alone was said to seat up to 14,000 people, while its theater held up to 15,000. A city of such size no doubt featured several synagogues. And though St. Luke doesn't mention it, it's a pretty safe bet that St. Paul continued his apostolic pattern of outreach there. Jews first, then the Greeks. And after the Jews kicked them out, then whatever Jews believed still with them and the Greeks with them. No clue how long they ministered in Perga, but finally they draw the curtain on this area of mission and they left the beautiful city on the Cestus River and headed down to Italia, a port directly on the Mediterranean, some 20 miles or so from Perga and a little to the west. Verse 26. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. Sailing to Antioch is no doubt shorthand for sailing back to Seleucia, about 320 miles away, and then heading up the 15 miles from Seleucia, the port, into Antioch itself. Antioch was where the Holy Spirit had given clear direction through his prophets to set these two men apart for this work. They had prayed, no doubt, for their work to prosper and for them to be able to return in safety, and they had been commended to the grace of God. All told, they traveled more than 1,200 miles in all. Some, of course, by boat, much of it on foot. I wonder if those who heard of them often thought of Isaiah's words. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Their beautiful feet had carried them far as they published abroad the salvation of the Lord and brought to one and all, Jew and Greek, the good news. Verse 27. And when they arrived, and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. 
Now, those who support and pray for the missionaries they send out always love it when those missionaries come home and tell them a little bit about how things went. My parish has sponsored missionaries in Uruguay and the Dominican Republic and Taiwan. It's always a packed Bible class when they check in and let us know how things were turning out. Now, St. John Chrysostom makes a beautiful observation about this verse to his congregation in the selfsame Antioch some three centuries later. They did not say what they themselves had done, but what God had done with them. It seems to me that they mean through their trials. It was not for nothing that they went there, not for rest. They were providentially guided by the Spirit so that the preaching to the Gentiles might be firmly established. And note Paul's ardor. He does not ask if there is need to speak to the Gentiles. He speaks at once. The open door, that's a favorite image of St. Paul's. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 8 and 9. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. 2 Corinthians 2, verses 12 and 13. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me and the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. Or Colossians 4, verse 3. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. In this verse, you hear what constitutes the open door in the mind of the apostle. It's when people hear, believe, and receive the good news he brings. It's a door of faith that opens to the human heart in Jesus by the working of God the Holy Spirit. Here's how St. Luke describes it with the conversion of Lydia in just a few chapters, Acts 16, verse 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Isn't that beautiful? Verse 28. And they remained no little time with the disciples. That's a pretty indefinite time reference. It suggests, though, months, not days. Paul and Barnabas, having been on their own for so long, must have luxuriated in the companionship of their fellow believers. No question that they resumed their teaching duties and both probably felt a new urgency to remember before the Lord in prayer the many new believers their preaching had brought to faith, believers who now were many, many miles away. One of the most joyous mysteries of prayer is how it erases distance. When I am before the Lord, and I'm holding you up before the Lord. I'm praying for us both before the Lord. And so we're both there together before the Lord with whom there are no distances. It's this experience of prayer obliterating the divisions caused by time and distance that the church lives out in her intercessions in the divine service. Those intercessions remember the family of God from one end of the earth to the other, and they even reach through the ages as those who came before us and who have already entered into eternity are remembered with thanksgiving before God's altar as well. 
as Christ, in his role as mediator, intercedes for his church before the throne of God, we join with his prayer and realize how great and vast is this communion of saints, which consists of the church. As we sing in the hymn of the day for all saints, O blessed communion, fellowship divine, we feebly struggle, they in glory shine, yet all are one in thee, for all are thine. Alleluia, alleluia. And when the strife is fierce, the warfare long, steals on the ear the distant triumph song, and hearts are brave again, and arms are strong. Alleluia, alleluia. The greatest of the 16th century reformers, Martin Luther, put it like this, How could a man wish for anything more blessed than to come into this fellowship or brotherhood and be made a member of this body, which is called Christendom. For who can harm or injure a man who has this confidence, who knows that heaven and earth and all the angels and saints will cry to God when the smallest suffering befalls him? That's where we're going to stop for today. Next up, we'll hear about the circumstances that resulted in the first great council in the church's history. The first, but not the last. There in Antioch, folks showed up from Jerusalem who flat out insisted that unless you receive circumcision and keep the law of Moses, you're not going to be saved. Paul and Barnabas naturally dispute this big time, but these folks wouldn't back down, and so it was decided that Paul and Barnabas should go up to Jerusalem and lay the question before the apostles and elders. As they head up to Jerusalem, they keep reporting the story of how God opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and many who hear them rejoice. But when they get to Jerusalem itself and were welcomed by the church, the same song and dance heard down in Antioch is repeated again. Circumcision plus obedience to the law were sine qua non for the Pharisee party of that early church. I love that they didn't paper over their disagreement. They laid out positions plainly, and then they brought the word of God to bear upon them. Till next time, people loved by God, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Word of the Lord Endures Forever with Pastor Will Whedon. The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is a listener-supported program. You can donate by check, make your check payable to The Word Endures, and send it to Box 616, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also make a secure online contribution at thewordendures.org. The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.